Hi, I'm David. I'm a compulsive reader. Thank you, Atusa. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. Um, I was sharing with Atusa before the meeting that I came into OA 11 years ago, and before I had the willingness to actually step foot in the meeting, I would just walk down the Santa Monica Pier listening to podcasts, um, and I would just hear her podcast all the time. And it really, really helped me. And now, you know, 11 years into OA, um, I'm on the podcast a lot, and I've been all around the world, and people are like, I just heard your podcast. Um, and it's amazing. It's like you help me, and then I get better, and then I help you. And that's kind of how the program works. And um, I'm coming up on nine years of abstinence, and my abstinence is no binging, no purging, no flour, and no sugar. Um, I eat three meals a day. I call my sponsor every day. Um, I have a sponsor who has a sponsor and I have sponsees and I'm really in the center of the herd and my life is really good today and if I trace back everything great about my life I can really see the roots uh, started in Overeaters Anonymous and you know I brought the journal entry that I wrote the day before I got abstinent um, right around 3.20 p.m. Nine years ago. It says, another binge today, another wasted day. Bag of dried mangoes, 540 calories. Bag of banana chips, 2,400 calories. Bag of freeze-dried bananas, 540 calories. Bag of freeze-dried pineapples, 520 calories. Bag of dried pineapple rings, 720 calories. So clearly I went to Trader Joe's. One whole jar of almond butter, 2,606 calories. Total, 7,380 calories. I'm lonely as F-U-C-K, probably because I hate myself. I'm sitting at the Santa Monica Pier watching everyone around me laugh and smile. Why is everyone happy except for me? Why can't I be normal? Why do I have to eat 7,000 calories in a sitting? I hate myself. I pray that one day my food will be moderate and clean. I think I want to run the marathon. I think it would be good for me to set a goal and actually reach it. I need help. I'm so tired of living. I'm so tired of being alone. And, um, you know, on the back of it, I wrote like 300 times, I am compassionate. I am compassionate. You know, I just didn't know what I was doing when I got here. Like, I thought if I could just self-will my way into recovery, affirmations my way into recovery, calorie count my way into recovery, like I would get better. And I've learned nine years in that it's a spiritual spiritual solution and it's an inside job. And um, I could have the perfect food plan and the perfect abstinence and the perfect sponsor and the perfect step work regime. But at the end of the day, it's like what it's my conscious contact with a higher power. And if I don't have that, um, I don't really consider myself working a program of recovery. And what it was like, I grew up on Long Island. Um, a lot of you know my story now. A very perfect, everything's perfect, nothing's to see here. My dad's a prominent doctor. Um, my mom is an early childhood trauma psychologist. So, like, perfect, let's analyze. And, you know, there's nothing wrong. But inside the house, um, there was alcoholism, abuse, affairs, drug addiction. My dad was severely abusive. You know, I've shared a bunch that first memory I have of childhood. He, you know, he was this big guy. And I was this little kid. And he would just rage through the house. And 
um, he threw my sister up against the wall. He's grabbing her by her chins, calling her a fat effing pig. And I like jumped on his back and I'm screaming, trying to get him off her. And he grabs me by the shirt and throws me up against the wall. And I remember looking across the long hallway at my mom who was standing in her doorway and she just went into her room and closed the door. And um, that is really what it was like. It was like an every man for themselves, fight or flight, have to survive. My mom never felt like she could protect me. Um, my dad I was terrified of and um, it was just chaos. And you know, they say in the big book, what was the thought that preceded the first drink? And for me, that sentence means, like, what was my mind telling me before I ever picked up a drink or a bite or a piece of cake? Um, you know, what was my mind telling me? And I think that I was a compulsive reader. I was an addict way before I ever started using physically. Um, my mind as a five-year-old was warped. I remember being on the playground thinking nobody wanted to be my friend. I couldn't talk to anyone. They called me mute boy in school. Even into college, if I had to give an oral presentation in school, I would just drop the class. Like, terrified of people, places, and things. Um, I remember being at my grandfather's balcony in Florida. I was like six, thinking, if I jump, all my problems are going to be over. But my next thought was, but nobody's going to show up at a funeral. And I was like a six-year-old thinking this. Um, you know, my mind was completely warped, and uh, my parents got divorced, and court ended up taking away custody from my dad. And he used to, like, show up at my house and try to... I mean, it was crazy. He would try to break in. I slept with a baseball bat under my bed. Um, cops would come to the house. He once strangled a, a police officer. And... Um, that's when I started using because I, it was the anxiety that my dad was going to come which made me like unable to live my life. I was just terrified. I would be in school thinking my dad was going to show up and take me um, and like take me to Fort Lauderdale and like throw me in a swamp. I don't know. I had a warped mind so I, just, I was just doomsday is coming every day in my mind and I just ate over it. Um, and I remember the first time I ate over it, just thinking, like, this works. Like, the food actually is a miracle. And um, I don't want to discredit that, because, like, the food really worked for a really long time. The food quieted my anxiety. The food took away the pain. The food took away the fear. But slowly but surely, I was adding weight. I became 60 pounds overweight. But the food still worked. But I was now getting picked on at school. I was getting bullied. I was the fat kid in school. Um, I watched my friends have their first kiss and their first girlfriend and their first prom date. And I just watched my life pass me by as I was the fat kid. And, um, but still, the food was working because I wasn't dealing with my problems. And that's what the food does for me. Like, I'll, I'll get in fear and then I'll just eat over it so I don't have to deal with it. And, um, it's like a crude interest is what I learned in program. Like, eventually, I'm going to have to deal with it. So I might as well deal with it in present time because that's the easiest time to just heal through it. Or I can just suppress everything for 25 years, and then when I come into OA, I'm just a basket case. And, um, you know, they say if you want to know what you're eating over, just stop eating. And I was eating over a lot. And... You know, I, when I was like 16 or 17 years old, my sister also suffers from this disease, 
and we had connecting bedrooms and I used to hear her purging every night and bagging it into a garbage bag and taking it outside and dumping it and um, she lost like 50 pounds in the summer and I wanted what she had and I went into her room one day and I found her diet pills and you know they say it's a progressive illness but started with one slim fast diet pill when I was like a sophomore or junior in high school by the time I was a senior in high school I was taking 15 pills of hydroxycut every day um, I had gone from 60 pounds overweight to 30 pounds underweight I was a three-sport athlete um, I was waking up at 5 in the morning going to the gym starving all day taking diet pills going to sports practice like sometimes passing out at sports practice like I, I turned into a psycho just the other way and um, finding bathrooms in my high school to purge at you know if I did eat lunch I was putting ketchup on my salad because I didn't, couldn't eat balsamic like it was just mayhem I was calorie counting but on the outside I looked good um, I was 30 pounds underweight I was getting attention from girls for the first time I was dating like the most popular girl in school but on the inside I'm fat I'm ugly I'm worthless the abuse was because of me nobody likes me nobody wants to really be my friend so I should just push everybody away in my life today because eventually they're gonna hurt me and um, that's what that was a real character defect that didn't get changed until I came into OA which is like I'm just gonna cut and run um, you know in that time I didn't talk to my dad for 10 years until I came into OA but really every relationship I just cut um, you could feel like you were my best friend in the world and then I could text you that night and say listen this isn't working I don't want to be your friend anymore. like I just couldn't it says in the big book the total inability to form true partnerships because I was in so much fear that you were going to push me away I cut everybody out of my life um, and I went to any lengths to keep off the weight because I loved the attention so it continued into college I went to five colleges in four years um, calorie counting, binging and purging my way through college. I can't remember anything other where were the bathrooms and where the gyms were. Um, I really didn't have a real college experience. And I hit my bottom simultaneously in this program and another program. I was a senior in college. I was failing out of school. I hadn't spoken to my dad in a decade. I had never had like a real relationship other than those like couple week flings where I just cut and run I would go days without talking to people and I was living in Manhattan um, and taking 15 pills of hydroxycut every day for like eight years straight I turned into like a monster I was my heart was beating out of my chest every night I was taking half a bottle of NyQuil um, I was like scratching I was like a me I was like from out of Requiem for a Dream or something I was just like crazy all day long like what are they thinking about me I'd be on the subway like paranoid thinking people were watching me like I just went I lost my mind um, and I'm going from every Whole Foods in Manhattan just binging and then going down to my 24 hour gym and I wouldn't leave the gym until how many calories I binged that day matched the calories on the treadmill so like five six hour days sometimes and um, it was just a total bottom I was gonna die and I ended up in a hospital through another program and um, I ended up going to my sister and I just said I'm a compulsive overeater I'm a bulimic 
and if I don't get help, I'm going to die. And she printed out the New York City um, meeting list and said, you have to go to a meeting. And I went to a meeting the next day, 11 years ago, and um, I ended up moving to L.A. in my first two years of being in the rooms. And, you know, in those first two years, I didn't get abstinent, and it seemed like everybody else was getting abstinent. Like, there were young people's meetings at the farmer's market that I would go to, and, like, Everybody was like, it felt like living in the promises. And I was going home and binging and going to Whole Foods and then going to Jamba Juice and then, you know, going to 7-Eleven and eating 15 protein bars in the parking lot. And then wondering, like, why isn't this working for me? And, um, you know, another program, they wish you a slow sobriety. And here it's the same thing because most of those people who I came in with aren't here anymore. And um, I really appreciate my recovery because of how patient I was to get it. Um, so I came into OA and they said, find someone who has what you want and ask him how he or she is achieving it. And it's a tricky thing because I was 20 years old um, and I don't know what I want. I'm an addict with a warped mind. Like, I just want to get skinny uh, and be really, really successful and drive a nice car. And I found the spot, like, I did the J-Date, like, checklist thing and I was like, all right, I want a straight male who has a nice car, who's married, and I found that person, I asked him, and he's like, sorry, I'm full. And I went, I was Serenity Sunday, I went and like threw up in the bathroom at, in Roxbury Park, because I was like, this program, like, I can't even get a sponsor, like I'm not even good enough for that. And I started sharing about it, and this woman came up to me, and on paper, she was nothing that I wanted. She was... Um, like a middle-aged lesbian woman who didn't have a car and she was like I'll spot or a job or like I think anything and she's like I don't even think she was in OA but she was like I'll sponsor you and you know she took the bus every week for a year um, and we worked the steps together and like I didn't have the flashy sponsor but I did the work and every week we met and went through the steps and in that first year I was struck abstinent whatever that means I did the work and I had a spiritual experience and um, the obsession to eat compulsively was taken away from me that's what happened and um, I got to a healthy body weight and I had all these physical miracles with the food, like the sugar was lifted, the need to over-exercise was lifted. I got this horrible injury where I was told I can never run again. And I would run like five hours a day. And I had a surrender. I haven't been on a treadmill in seven years, I don't think. Um, I changed my relationship with exercise and food and body and self-obsession. you know, obsession. And... I think at the end of that first year was the first time I spoke at Kitchen Sing. And I think I met with that sponsor after, and she's like, I'm leaving away, um, but you were the best gift I ever could have gotten. And she moved back to the East Coast, and I haven't spoken to her since. Um, but that's what I learned here. Some people come in for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, and um, I have to honor that and let them go. And, you know, it's been almost nine years of recovery, and... Um, what recovery has meant to me is I have to do the work. Like, this isn't just about food. They say it's not about the food. Like, I had so much trauma 
when I came into OA. I had physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. Um, like, watching everybody have... Re- like, I didn't know how to do relationships. I just didn't have the tools to life. And um, I've had to do so much inner work to get to where I am today. How much time do I have? You're close to your phone. Um... I want to talk about the last couple years because I was just talking to a fellow yesterday um, who's in Mexico and she's like, your story's crazy but your story's really crazy now. Um, After the last couple years of what's happened, I was in a long-term relationship and I really thought this person was the one and um, I was trying to make it work and I was trying to like push us into marriage and... um, there was just like resistance every step of the way and I couldn't see the resistance until I got out of the relationship but I really like loved this person and wanted to make it work and would have done anything to make it work and I came home one day and she said it's over it's done and there was no explanation no like talk about it it was and you know my sponsor in another program says if it's inexplicable it's God and it was inexplicable. Like I had, no, I still to this point have no um, idea other than it was clearly God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. So I got, I I left, and the next day I went to my sponsor's house in another program, and you know that's the miracle. It's like I choose every day: do I want to go closer to recovery or away from it? And I had another sponsee at the time who was going through a breakup. He lost his abstinence, like went that way. And I went into God and I went to recovery. And I'm sitting at my sponsor's house the next day um, and he had this long kitchen table. And I was like, you know what? I know that this is God. Like, there's no doubt about it. I'm not going to beg for her back. I'm not going to, like, try to win her over, like this is God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself and like within a minute out of his back house pops this like the most joyous carefree Australian like blue eyes um, and she sits down at the table and she introduces herself and she's my sponsor's cousin and she had just moved that week from Australia and um, cut to on Sunday we got married (laughs) And my dad was at the wedding and gave the toast along with Jeff. Um, and recovery doesn't happen overnight. Like, it's next indicated action every single day. Um, if you told me 10 years ago that my dad would be at my wedding and I would have had amends with him and forgiven him, and let him back into my life being the cutter that I am I would have said you're crazy and I'm actually leaving program because this is a cult but I've taken next indicated action every single day and what recovery has given me is an intuition and an inner voice and I call it my inner green light or when I get really quiet um, I know what to do next now like I just know who to go to, who to call, who to forgive, who to date, who to marry, um, who to sponsor. And that's another thing. Like, I can use recovery. My disease can hijack my recovery and tell me it's recovery. And I've learned that in LA. Like, a couple years ago, I had 17 sponsees. And I was just serving, serving, serving. Um, 
every single day I was meeting with a sponsor and I went to my therapist and I was like you know did Jesus ever say no and he's like David like who are you comparing to and I was doing all this research and I'm a Jew so it's not like a religious thing but the truth was like he did say no like he would leave the village and say like we're done here we gotta go and um but that's who I am with a warped mind like I compare myself in my career with my recovery on Instagram like the people that I compare myself to are like here and comparison really is the thief of joy so I try to be right sized um, and I try to be right sized in recovery like I got my sponsees down to three and um, reco- uh, service has now become a joy in my life and not an obligation like I love meeting with sponsees and like being of service and taking their calls because I'm not just giving away my life to everybody else and um, I'm so grateful for this recovery it starts with the food it really does um, but recovery has given me a life beyond my wildest dreams separate from the food um, but the food is a miracle I can't discredit the fact that I'm at a healthy body weight the food doesn't call to me um, I haven't eaten sugar in nine years. Um, it was my birthday a couple months ago at Big Sur, and like, I called up the restaurant before I got there, and I said, "Just so you know, I don't eat sugar." And that's the type of stuff I do today. Like, I take care of myself. I've turned in, and you know, someone was sharing before the meeting. Like, it looks like everybody is your family here. Um, everybody was like coming up and hugging me and happy to see me and that's because I've grown up in this program and I've allowed other people to watch me grow up I've done it really messy I've had horrible relationships that I've shared with my fellows and they've watched me suffer um, and cry and be in fetal position but I keep coming back and I do the work and I help others um, and I never forget that this program is the most important thing in my life so thank you for letting me share This is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with one of us after the meeting. Please remember that the opinions I shared with you today are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. So the question was, how do I maintain my conscious contact with God? Um, I have to find out what works for me. And, you know, someone in this program shares, what works for my recovery may kill you. And uh, an old sponsor in another program got me onto this thing called the morning drill, which is waking up at five in the morning, praying, meditating, doing a gratitude list, going to the gym, and then going to a meeting all by 8.30. And um, it sounds crazy, but for me, when I put myself first, like radically like that, that's when I really feel God. Um, Because the alternative is fitting in five minutes when like life is happening in session or, you know, I have to like create the space for the higher power to come in. And by having a two and a half hour like morning time slot for God, that's how I keep it. 
and I meditate every day. I have an app that I use, and I'm really competitive, so I like turn it into a game with myself. Um, and like once in a while, I'll find a fellow who wants to do a 30-day meditation challenge. And you know, I, I try to have fun with recovery because it is fun. Like growth is cool, um, but it's improving our conscious contact with God. And I think that my recovery can like take the routine and pee on it. So I constantly have to change. And this may not work for everyone. I'm constantly changing my home group. I'm constantly changing how I meditate. I'm just constantly changing my program to like shock the disease. And that's just what's worked for me. Nick? Yeah. Uh, Dave, thank you so much. It was good to see you. And hear you. And giant muscle talk. Yeah. Um, so... So the question was, could I elaborate on the miraculous change with my father? Um, so I came into OA 11 years ago hating him, saying, like, I'm never going to talk to him again. He's out of my life. And my first sponsor was like, he's a child abuser. You don't ever have to make amends to him. Um, my second sponsor had had experience making amends to somebody like that and he said you're doing it for yourself like this is for your freedom and I wasn't willing um, I had like three years in recovery um, I had just gone through the steps once but the next time through the steps I started praying for the willingness to forgive my dad um, and I really prayed and I took direction from long timers and I would do meditations where I would imagine myself on the beach and my dad was like on a buoy in the water and there was a string and I would just imagine myself cutting it and like it sounded so stupid but I did it and eventually one day I prayed for the forgiveness I prayed for the willingness to forgive my dad and I meant it and I was like okay I'm ready and maybe four or five years into recovery I flew back to New York and I made amends to him and I was very clear that the amends is not to forgive him for his behavior it's to make amends to the behavior that I do which is I cut people out of my life and I never forgive them and that's something that I want to change and from that point on we started a new relationship where it started with once in a while we would have a phone call and then I spent a weekend with him and then I 12-stepped him. I mean, crazy things started happening. Um, and, you know, I have 11 years in Al-Anon, so that's really helped, like, I can't just let people in my life and get squashed. Like, I, I'm the one who puts up the boundary, and I know today that a boundary is a third-dimensional principle that allows me to live in the fourth dimension. So I'm very clear with my boundaries. I was back in New York in December, and I said, I'll be at this hotel. If you want to come between 2 and 5, we'd love to see you. And he did. People meet me where I'm at today. Um, and I don't have to people please anymore. So, And, you know, with the wedding thing, it just felt right to have him. Um, it just felt like the next indicated action. Um, that's all I can say. Thank you. Thank you, David, for sharing. So if things get tough during the day because of whatever, life, how do you access your program then? What are the tools you use 
The question is, how do I access my program when things are tough in the day? And I just, I now 11 years in, I have a safety net where there are, I think, five guys-ish in recovery who I talk to every day without fail. One, I talk to maybe three times a day. So, like, there's not an... Honestly, there's not an hour in my day where I'm not talking to a fellow. But it's not like I'm making a recovery call. Sometimes it's just like, I'm crazy, I'm going into this meeting, pray for me, hang on. Like, but people... I'm constantly feeling that I'm not alone. And I'm walking side by side with, like, my brothers in program. Um, I probably still am on the phone 13, 14 times a day with fellows. Um, but they're also my best friends, so I'm just like connected. Could you, thank you, and congratulations. Uh, could you talk about your experience with step six and seven? Uh, yeah, step, what are my experiences with step six and seven? And it's, it's like the shortest step in the big book, and I've actually led a workshop in OA on it because I think they're the most important step. Um, you know, it says these are the steps that separate the boys and the girls from the men and the women um, to change things up. But that's where I change. Like, the, the first couple steps are for me, like, at least in the beginning, about the food. And then step six and seven is where I change my character, um, where I become a new character. And it, it stops becoming about the food, and it starts becoming about the character who I am which make me go to the food. Like, the, the, the white lies or the little character defects that I do. And step six and seven is where I become a, a, a real man of integrity. Um, where I can look anyone in the eye today and, like, I have spiritual principles in my life where I just feel like a, a, like a, a good person today. Like, a, those steps are my moral compass. They change me. Um, and like I pray to God for the food to be removed, I pray for my character defects to be removed. It's the same principle. I'm powerless over the... F- I mean, my first couple of years, I would like go into Whole Foods and somehow rationalize that I'd spent so much money there in my binging days that I'm owed a cup of coffee. So I could just walk in and walk out. I mean, like crazy. And I learned in these steps that I'm not praying away what I'm doing. I'm praying away what's underneath that. So it's not just like I'm a thief. It's what is like the core of that. And the core usually is like fear. Like I'm scared that if I pay for it, there's going to be nothing left or whatever. So that's what I change. So step six and seven are like, it takes a lot of inner honesty and work to get to the core of the defect and not just the surface of the defect, if that makes sense. Hi, thank you and congratulations. Since your relationship with your brother like? Hi. Um, <laughs> I think that's all the time we have today. What's the relationship I have with my mother? Um, you know, that's perfect too. Like, the, the flip side of the miracle with my dad and letting him back in my life, the recovery that I have with my mom is she's blocked on my phone. 
and she didn't get an invite to my wedding. And that was a decision that I was very clear about and spoke to fellows who had the same thing and didn't know if they should invite their mom to their wedding. Like, we don't really have a relationship. Um, I don't want to label my mom, but um, it's best... I've learned how to implement the traditions into my life. And, you know, our common welfare comes first. Personal recovery depends on unity. I learned that that's now my relationship and my marriage. And the welfare of our marriage means not having my mom involved in my life. At least for today. And I say that, that I'm willing that if God has this grand plan that my mom is going to somehow not be a narcissistic alcoholic anymore. <laughs> I'm open to change and forgiveness, but for today, um, there's a very strong boundary and we don't have a relationship. And it's bad, but um, it, it's very complicated. Like, I was my mom's mom for a really long time and I couldn't live my life because I was always worried about her and parenting her and like you know she's on four marriages and I would just feel bad and like I would always be on the internet looking for her husband like ending the relationship with my mom has allowed my marriage to blossom and I'm very clear about that thank you so much um, it's amazing to see the transformation um, uh, what I'm curious about is what are you afraid of today when, and when you have the, any fear come, those fears come up, what do you do um, sort of successfully to help you sort of get through that? So the question is, what am I afraid of today? And what do I do in the day to get through them? Um, I, I'll honestly say it's not. Food is out of my life. Like, it's very rarely does anything with food arise. Um... My fears today are, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing getting married? How am I going to be a provider? I'm going to get found out. I'm going to get caught. I'm not going to make it. Um, the money's going to stop coming. We're going to be home. Like, all those fears. And, you know, because I've kind of been on my own since I was 11. Like, I haven't had the real parents who, like, showed me how it's done. So I always say my superpower is... In recovery, I've been able to find really healthy people and surround myself with them. So I've surrounded myself with husbands and guys who have what I want, and I hang out with them. And I, I don't even ask them how they're doing it. I just see. Um, you know, Jeff in the back is one of my closest friends. On paper, we wouldn't be friends, but like we help each other so much because I see how it's done. Um, and that's kind of how I surround myself with people who have what I want and I see what they're doing to get it. Thank you, David. I really like what you said when uh, you said comparison is the seat of joy. Could you go into that a little bit and how you discovered that? Um, how did I discover comparison is the thief of joy? There's this thing called Google. 
it's some famous quote by some famous author or someone um, but I just have the experience every day that I, I went to a very um, competitive graduate school program and there were people from my class who are now like who I thought weren't as talented as me who are huge in the world now and if I focus on them I just I spiral and then when I get back into recovery and I see that God, like clearly God is my employer I'm on my own path I'm married to the exact like perfect person that I'm supposed to be with I just see that like God's got a plan for me and then that when I get into recovery I can look at what they're doing and I'd be like wow that's actually perfect for them and I wouldn't even want to be doing that what they're doing I want to be doing what God has in store for me um, so I get out of comparison through recovery and gratitude has my relationship to money changed um, yes I was in complete vagueness when I came in to OA um, I've gotten outside help. I've joined an outside program for that. And, you know, God is in the numbers, I've learned. Like, when I keep down everything I spend, just like I do with the food, I'm clear. And so much of my overeating had to do with financial insecurity. And today, like, I keep track of every dollar I spend, I know where it's going. We were we had a wedding budget. We stuck to it. Like without this program, without God, without a recovery, I would just be here's a credit card. We'll deal with the wedding aftermath after. And like um, my relationship to money and the recovery I've had to it has humbled me and allowed me to be right sized. And like our wedding was completely right sized. And um, yeah, thanks. Good question. Hi. Um, congratulations. Uh, how do you deal with the outside world in OA? Like, you know, with your spouse or business people or people you meet? How do I deal? Yeah, do you reveal that you're in program? Oh. Or, you know, and also do you 12 step and the question is do I 12 step people how do I deal with the outside world you just made me think of one thing that I just wanted to say um, over the last like six years in recovery I've watched a lot of outside issues happen and then people come into the room and share about it um, there's, or on Facebook they're like in the rooms they're God is everything but then you see them on Facebook and they're like hatred, hatred, and what I've learned about outside issues is if I'm resentful at anybody or anything, Facebook is not my solution. It's, it's praying for them. Like, that's what it says in the literature, and it's either everything or nothing. So am I praying for the politicians who I hate, or am I just posting about them? 
And um, that's you reveal. And do I reveal? Yeah, everybody knows I'm in. I mean, I'm in like 20, 12 step programs, <laughs> so they don't know all of them. I don't even think my wife does. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty open. I've 12 step a whole bunch of people. I went on a 12 step Israel trip. Um, a couple of years into recovery, it was all like AA, chain-smoking people. And I think by the end, half of them were in OA. Um, and, and you kind of learn that it's attraction, not promotion. And just by eating three meals a day and not eating sugar, people want what you have. Like, they just come up. I've found that people have come up to me and asked me what I'm doing instead of me ever needing to promote recovery on anyone. Thank you for sharing. It seems you have a very joyful, optimistic outlook on life. Has it always been that way? Is that part of your recovery? Uh, The question is, have I always been, had a joyful, optimistic outlook on life? Um, No, when I came into OA, I wanted to be a monk. And I just wanted to be rid of people. Like, I just can't deal. Ever since I was a kid, I just couldn't deal with people or anything. Um, But recovery has given me a spiritual awakening. Like, I feel conscious contact with God every single day. And that's what brings me joy. And it's service. Um, So thanks for letting me share.